Hi, I'm Pam and welcome to S Church Podcast. To get connected, visit our website, schurch.co.za or send us a WhatsApp on 076-032-3664. Say hi and we'll connect with you. Our full services can be found on our YouTube channel. Enjoy listening to the sermon today. It is good to see you, our online congregation. Good morning. It is good wherever you're joining from. Welcome to service today, and it is good to be with you. However, I I really am expectant in sharing God's word over this week and next week. You see, we're starting what we call in Rebuild 2022, which is sharing about the direction and we believe that God is calling us as a church and where God is taking us. See, a lot has happened. A lot of things have taken and changes, and we're all aware of that. We've been a part of many of the changes. And so I believe God has spoken, and that's why I'm expecting, and I use that word carefully, because expectancy means hope. I'm hopeful, because I know God has spoken about where we're going. So I want to encourage you, don't even miss next week. I'm so glad that you guys are here this morning, but don't miss next week as we continue talking about rebuild. Um, And talking about rebuild, um, I, like, at the beginning when I came back in January, because we went on leave, um, I know my mother was telling everyone about, oh, wait until you hear the stories of what happened on their holiday and everything like that. And I was like, there's so much pressure that's put on me to share stuff. Um, But at the beginning of this year, we went up to the Drakensberg on a holiday. Now, I don't know if it was just me, but I didn't know actually how far this place was. Like, I thought the Drakensberg is like, okay, going a few hours of driving. I didn't realize you're literally going around the border of Lesotho to get to this place. And it's also extra long when you've got a three-year-old in the car. And so we set off. We went, my brother um, and he and my sister-in-law, they live in Bloemfontein. They moved there last year. Bless them. And so they are there. And so we thought, okay, we'll drive from Cape Town. We'll stuff in Bloom, look at the wonderful city of Bloemfontein and explore all the things that it has for us. And so we went there um, and it was a good, it was a good drive. Let me tell you, you realize how good our roads are in the Western Cape. <laughs> yeah, don't forget that. You realize how good it is. And so as we went and the journey was good and we enjoyed it. And in true fashion, my brother Joel um, loves to socialize. And so he decides he's going to organize a social fight. Like, like I'm a teenager. He's like, cool, we're going to have a social. He wants us to meet his colleagues and everything like that. And he was pumped because he's got family there now. And he already told them, um, my brother's a pastor. Now, just it sets you up when you walk into the situation. So they were like, hello, Domini, hello, Domini. And I'm like, no, no, we're just going to chill you. And so we go there and um, we, we swim in because it's a casual like 36 degrees as for normal. Um, and we connect in and it's good. Somehow on the way up and, and everything like that, I got designated navigator. So I was like the one that's going to navigate us on this journey. So I had quite a good, like, clear way of how we're going to do this. I know we get you. We're just going to stay on the N1 the whole way. Just travel the N1 the whole way and we'll be fine. Now we're there at the social and Oum Chopi, <laughs> one of the colleagues, Oum Chopi says to me, what route are you taking to get to the Drakensberg? Now, 
I only saw one route on Google and Waze. So I'm thinking, I don't know what this man is talking about. He says, how are you going to get there? So I said, via the N1. No, he says to me, go the scenic route. Now, at this point, like red flags are going up inside of me because I'm thinking to myself, no, no, I don't think we should go the scenic route. And have you ever been in a situation where someone's explaining, you, explaining to you how to get to a place? And they're usually saying, you have no idea what they're talking about, but you're going, yes, yes. And then, and then you get there, you, turn, you yes, and then you drive away and you think, what did they say? Where do we turn left? I'm sitting there polite. Wim Chop is passionate about telling me how we're going to get to the drugs. He goes, you know, you go, yeah, you go to Klokkeland and then Fixburg. I'm thinking, are those places real? So politely, I don't know, Candice is a scenic route and she's adamant that's the route we're going. And so we go, cool. So we set it. Exit the original trip. It was already saved. It already told me, indicated where we should go. I go, scrap that. Let's go on the scenic route. So off we set. Tells us four hours and 45 minutes to get there. That's not bad time to go from Bloom to the Rocksburg. We're thinking, okay, it's good. And so off we go. We've got both girls, a three and a six-year-old in our car. And we are traveling up. And it's going well. The scenery and that side in the Northern Cape, it's unbelievable. I'm telling you now, even the clouds look different in the sky there. It's beautiful. And so we like observing this and, um, and for some reason we like, everyone just drives slow because we're just overtaking everyone as we go. And I'm like, they're looking at the scenery here, but they've all got like free state license plates. I'm thinking they know the scenery. So we go in at quite a speed and then we realize very quickly why everyone's driving slow. The roads. So they take us, and he tells us to go on this journey. We take this different route. Let me tell you, it was hair-raising. Leandro caught a photo. This is how I had to drive, literally the whole way, crouched <laughs> over the steering wheel, just so that I can try and see. These were some of the photos, literally, photos that we got of the potholes that were... And you're like, okay, that's not bad. Like, it goes across a whole road. This <laughs> is the roads that Worm Chopi told us to go. And on top of that, I said to the guy, I said to him, but I've got a goal for my brother as a Corolla. Are we going to be fine? We don't have Fortuners or anything like that. No, no, you're going to be fine. Go. Well, this is what hit us on this drive. Joel hits one of these potholes. Tire buckles, everything. Now we're like, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Try and just get signal. We see the first place that we can actually go to is called Fixburg. <laughs> if people know, I can hear some people are laughing. If you know these places, you understand what I'm talking about. And so we go, okay, we can go to Fixburg. <laughs> I literally, let me tell you something. I know why they call it Fixburg. <laughs> A population of 5,400 people. That's how many people live there. There are seven wheel and tire shops in that little town. Seven! <laughs> they call it fixers because they're fixing everyone's tires that come into that area. So we get there, fix the tires. A journey that was meant to take us four hours and 45 minutes took us nine hours. All because of roads that needed to be rebuilt. And 
And by the time we got to the destination, we missed the lunch, we missed this, we like literally, I wanted to throw my brother at one point into one of those potholes. I was so, like you lose your salvation in moments like this. We get to this place, no one wanted to talk to each other. We're all now on this family holiday in this resort. No one wants to talk to each other. It's like, you go there, I'm going to go there. And eventually we find ourselves and, and we had a good time. But the next morning, in my time with Jesus, I was just... Okay, first of all, I was like trying to find Jesus again in my soul after yesterday. But we were spending time and God brought me to a portion of scripture that it wasn't a part of the reading plan that I was in, but it was like this, it just was illuminated in me. And, and, and I reflected on it and the more I reflected on it, the more I was like, God, what are you saying in this? What are you, who is this for? What is this for? And I, and I was reflecting more and I was thinking, is it for this? Is it for that? Is it for my life? Is it for the church? And I stayed here with this portion of scripture. The whole time while we were away, I kept coming back to it. God kept laying it on my heart. I kept reflecting and thinking, God, what is this? And, and eventually I felt and I realized that God is speaking a word for our very house as a church. And so what I'm going to share with us and over and next week is sharing about the direction we are moving as a church, where, where I believe God has spoken to not only me, but to our leadership as a church, where he's steering us. And he spoke to us out of Isaiah 58. And I want us to read it, verse 11 to 12. And it says, I will give you a full life in the emptiest of places, firm muscles, strong bones, and you'll be like a well-watered garden, a gurgling spring that never runs dry. And you will use the old rubble of past lives to build a new. Rebuild the foundations from out of your past, and you'll be known as those who can fix anything. Restore old ruins, rebuild and renovate. Make the community livable again. I had to keep reading this verse over and over and over again because God is speaking so many times. He said, rebuild the foundations out of your past. Rebuild, renovate, make the community livable again. And it was that word rebuild that really stood out to me. And so I started to sit with this word. Our team began to sit with this word of saying, God, what are you saying in this? And if you look at that word rebuild and you look at the RE, the prefix of that word, do you know what, it's, what, you know what it means, what it stands for? It indicates an original state of affairs, something that once was, a condition that used to prevail that can be returned to. So, so examples, we say that we're resuming our studies. We are recommitting to our diet. We re-looking at the scale again and saying, is that true? Is this what happened in my life so quickly? We are going back to renew a relationship, recover our health after an illness. And, and each one of those things, they imply are going back to the original, perhaps even the ideal, maybe even the better condition and thinking back on the past two years, and do you know that it is our anniversary of two years ago we went into lockdown today? Thinking back on the past two years and what has happened and, and the journey that we've been on, I, I can, it's safe to say that it really disrupted many of our lives. Job loss, lost families, lost members. And things were stripped away, but I believe, looking back now, you know they say hindsight's always better that God has taken us, and I believe many of us, but as a church, into this very place of rebuilding. Because 
I believe that God was doing something to rebuild and maybe things needed to break down to be rebuilt again, but be different. And so reflecting on that journey and the past two years, and, and the past two years has been a lot of stuff that has happened. A lot of sowing, a lot of things that have gone, even the unseen, ministry leaders, teams, that, and people within the church that would continue to be faithful even when it was so challenging. And looking back, 2020 was a significant year for us. Just two years ago, we transitioned. We started speaking about what is this thing called love? What does it mean? And then last year, we, we actually articulated and we spoke about there's a mission in this house. Love God and love people. Everything, we started based on that. There were three areas that we focused in last year and we've seen how God has moved in those three areas. We spoke about the culture of love, defining what that means. We spoke about discipleship and evangelism. How are we going to deepen our journey? We spoke about community care. New ministries started. In the midst of all of that, there was things that were happening, sowing, even when it was challenging. Even when things weren't normal. There were so many things that I will never take for granted again. Like having a gathering where we can be in this space, I'll never take for granted again. And there was a lot of sowing that took place by many people in their own personal lives, but even here in this church. And I, and I was reminded, like thinking back, and I was like, Ministry struggled. As a church, we struggled. Financially, there was hardships. As a staff, there, was, there were struggles that took place. There were areas that we saw that people just never came back to church. People had literally disappeared. There, were, there was hardships that we experienced. And I was reminded of Psalm 126 verse 5. It says, those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. And I believe the last two years, there have been many tears that have been watering the ground of what we've been building. There's also been the sweat of, of people saying, no, I'm still committed, even when it was challenging, even when it was like, hello, are there any volunteers? Hello, is it? Even when there was a high, there was a sowing that was taking place, and I believe now we are reaping with songs of joy. Galatians 6 verse 9, it says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And I believe we're starting to see the harvest of things that have been happening. And Jason spoke about, about the bamboo, the roots that are underground, you don't see it. And all of a sudden it starts growing. We're starting to see that take place in the church. And then thinking back on Isaiah 58, in January when God had this word, I was like, you will use the old rubble of past lives to build a new. Rebuild the foundation out of your past. Rebuild from out of your past the foundations. Meaning, actually, there is a good foundation within this church. There was a legacy that has gone and has built a strong foundation. We're not looking for the blueprints. We're not like, okay, what do we mean? There is already a foundation, but God is calling us to rebuild. And I love it. It says to make the community livable again. And I read that and I was like, God, that is the heart of our church. It lines up in the journey we've been in. He's a clever God. Because can I tell you, we didn't know two years ago when all of this was happening and the love God and love people on the journey and what we were focusing on last year, that he was leading us to this place. He says, make the community livable again. That God has been directing our paths all the way through. And so then looking at rebuild and reflecting on that, thinking on the past two years, January, God's word that he gave at Isaiah 58, I started to reflect and said, 
well, what does rebuild mean for us as a church? And I was taken to Nehemiah. And I would love to do a book study on Nehemiah, and we probably will. But I literally have to do a summarized version <laughs> to give you the overview of what happens in Nehemiah. You see, Ezra and Nehemiah are really together what happens in the story because the city of Jerusalem was destroyed. A war took place. The temple that they worshipped in was destroyed. The very walls were destroyed. And in Ezra, we read how the temple was rebuilt. And now after 70 years of being in exile, the Jewish people start returning into the city because they have a place now to worship in the temple. And so they come back, but still, the city walls that surround them are destroyed. And a once very powerful capital, now we look around and we see it's just rubble. And so word gets around, and a man named Nehemiah, the author, and he writes from a first-person experience of what is happening, and he recounts the story from him as the person. He starts, he hears the word. He's not even living there. He hears the word of what's happening to the people of God, and he goes, no. And he weeps. Scripture says in Nehemiah 1 verse 4, When I heard this, I sat down and I wept. In fact, for days I mourned, I fasted, and I prayed to the God of heaven. He was moved when he heard what was taking place. That they're now back in the temple and they're worshiping. But the city walls were still laying in ruins. And so when I'm looking at Nehemiah's life and then looking at the account of what happened to him, you see in chapter 1, and my point number one was there was a holy discontent that took place. You see, the very, we know there was a holy discontent because the way Nehemiah responded when he heard, he said he fasted and he prayed, he wept, he mourned. Why? Because God had spoken to him. There was a holy moment that gripped his heart. Then it was more than just a fleeting emotion. He heard God's voice speak to him. There was a holy discontent inside of him about what was taking place, that that holy discontent led him to have a vision and direction to say, no ways, something has to change. Uh, I can relate it to Popeye the Sailor. Remember that? Loved that series. He'd take his little can, he'll pop the spinach there, and in he goes, because he used to look at the situation, and he used to say, that's all I can stand. I can stand it no more. I believe Nehemiah was saying similar words to that. I, I can't stand it anymore. There was a holy discontent, and can I tell you the definition of a holy discontent? It's when you experience an uneasy spirit about the brokenness of this world, which aligns with the heart of God that spurs us to take positive action to change the world. You see, there was something that happened in Nehemiah that he looked and he says, hold on. There's something that's happening. I'm seeing the brokenness. Now, God, align my heart to yours so I can do something. And the past 14 months... Myself, Razan, and with a group of core leaders, we would sit on once a month on a Sunday. Long in the evening, we would sit. We would obviously, we would start with food and we would eat together. We would spend time in worship, spend time in God's word, speak about ourselves, speak about our struggles, 
what we're dealing with. And in this space, we would, we would sit together in, in this room and, and really reflect. And, and then we would start to unpack and say, God, what's happening? And we started to think about our community and where we find ourselves, where God has placed us, looking back on the journey and the many things that have happened and the hardship and being able to just even experience and talk about things that we have struggled with, with even in ministry. And out of that space, we could sense the holy discontent that God is placing inside of us about what we call our very church, saying, can you see the brokenness? Because can I remind you, every one of us, including myself on this stage, we're broken. That's why we had a Savior that came to save us. And looking at our world, we would say, God, what is happening? And when I say our world, I mean where you find yourself in your workplace. Sometimes when we say world, we think of, oh, yes, what's happening in Ukraine or what's happening in Syria. And we relate it to the, your world is your family, your workplace, where you are in school, varsity. That's your world where you have influence. And so we started reflecting. We said, God, our people need you. And so there was a holy discontent that God gave to us about looking at the brokenness that aligns with the heart of God. And we said, actually, there has been a holy discontent that God's given us, a mandate that has come from heaven that it says, are you loving me and are you loving people? And that's where we were like, God, how does that reflect in every area of our church? How are we seeing that reflected that are we loving you and loving people? And so this, this holy discontent continued to grow. And the same thing had happened with Nehemiah. Because then in point number two, what happens in chapter number two of Nehemiah, he inspects the walls. But he doesn't do it alone. He takes other leaders with him to inspect. I can tell you now, I am not smart enough to have said some of these things by myself. With Roseanne, with our core leadership, we've sat. We do this as a team. And so they inspect the walls, and we see it in Nehemiah 2, verse 17. It says, Jerusalem lays in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. That past 40 months that we've been leading us to this day, we've been looking and saying, God, where are you calling us to rebuild? We're inspecting, we're looking, so much has happened, you've done so much. We've seen your favor, where are you calling us to rebuild? Where are people at? God, what, is, does, what are you calling for us as a church, unique to us? Not there, not the us. Proverbs 27, 23 puts it this, this way. Know the condition of your flocks and be attentive to your herds. We really sense God saying that to us. Know the condition of where your people are. Nehemiah saw the conditions of the walls, but he didn't just jump in to start, let's fix it, and he took a brick, and he didn't just start fixing the walls. There was actually a divine order that takes place. A divine order before he starts fixing, before he does anything, before he gets people to do the project. There's a divine order that happens. There was first a holy discontent. So there was a God moment that took place. Then he engaged the people, meaning there was relationship. It wasn't, right, this is the list, let's go, start ticking it off. He engages the people, which then leads to the project. So it was God, the people, and then the project. He recognized that it is only God that's placed in him, and actually it's only people, because we are plan A. 
that Jesus called for us here on this earth to spread the word. It's us. He says the church, the people, so then the project, what he's calling us to focus on can happen. And we've seen it. We're starting to unpack this very thing of like our habits. The question we've been asking, how do you see God? Because it'll influence your approach and to him. We've been speaking about this thing, and at the end of last year, we spent a good portion of months looking at uncomplicated, uncomplicated relationships, marriages, finances, and unpacking things, how this relates to us. And God has been leading us and directing us to say, hey, we need to do life together, serve together, be in group. Why? Because there has to be first the revelation of God, which leads to the people in order for us to do the project. And over this time, we've seen it and God's doing it. And so there's been the inspection of the walls. Nehemiah did that, which led into chapter 3 of Nehemiah. Chapter 3 and point number 3 for us was then rebuild to place. And do you know that there was a plan? Because in chapter 2 of verse 12, it, it tells us there was a plan. Nehemiah says this, I had not told anyone about the plans God had put in my heart for Jerusalem. Meaning that God had spoken to him and there was actually a plan that was in place. It wasn't like, just do whatever you want. Like, hello people, let's build and yeah, you do that. Yeah, you do that. Oh, quickly, let's fix this because this is a problem. Let's fix that. And we just plug in holes. There was a way in which he did it. There was a plan in place. He knew exactly who, when, and how they were going to rebuild. And you know what the greatest plan that he had and Nehemiah had and that God had birthed inside of him? It was very clear that Nehemiah knew he couldn't do this by himself. He knew he would never rebuild and have this project completed if it wasn't for others that would come around. You see, because yes, he is Bob the Builder and all of that, but he wasn't good enough to just do it by himself. You see, the key on how they built in chapter 3, and it carries on because there was opposition. There, were, there was like doubt. There was all kinds of things that took place. But the reason, the key to Nehemiah and how they rebuilt is that they did it together. Every single one. And so reflecting on, there was the holy discontent. There was a God moment. There was the inspecting of the walls. And then the rebuilding took place. And then reflecting on Isaiah 58. God gave us that word in the beginning of the year. Reflect on how he's saying, I want you to make your community livable. Rebuild on the foundations that you have. Focus on that. Looking back on the past two years and the journey we've been on as a church, that in, in fact, in, in every area we have seen growth within this church. And that's a testament to God's faithfulness. That as a church, we can, we can say that there's growth in this church again. And so we reflected on this and saying, so God, what are you calling us? If this, world re this word rebuild is what you've laid on our hearts, what are you calling? The God moment of that, that holy discontent that we're feeling, God, what is it? And I believe God laid three things. Three things I want to share with you, the people. Remember, it was a God and then he went to the people and then they rebuilt. Number one, we believe God has called us to focus on going moving forward. Is regarding the next gen. And some of you are like, what? This church is all about the next gen. That's all they do. What are you talking about? The programs are great. My children love it. It's, it's awesome. 
Yes, it is. I have got all the respect for our next-gen leaders that have carried next-gen the past two years. That even, I'm telling you now, the hardest area in lockdown that impacted, it was our next-gen ministries. Tell me now how you get little kids to sit in circles and say, no, you can't interact with this one. How do you tell you to say, cool, we can have a cool vibey time online by yourself behind a screen. But yet they still showed up. Leaders still showed up and said, cool, let's put on our face and let's go have fun online. Instagram live, yes. It doesn't go unseen. We sow to tears has watered the ground that we're going to reap with joy. And we do have incredible, Basil reminded me last week, he said, Dan, can I tell you how awesome things are? You've got solid leaders there. You've got a good youth group. Something's happening. Dan, keep, keep telling your church, focus on this. Focus on the next gen. And I was like, cool, thank you. And it was confirmation. I didn't make the decision based on what he said. This was long before we've been going through this. 14 months, in fact. But looking at that, and yes, we do have an incredible next gen. But God has called us because we, we look in and make the community livable again. What does that mean? You want to know what's happening in the schools? Happening with young people? Just open the news, read it. Come speak to some of the teachers in our church. Come speak to some of the next-gen leaders that are with the kids and what they're experiencing from cyberbullying to, to mental to anxiety to sexual things. Just there's so much that is attacking our next-gen that we're actually called to fight for them. Yeah. Scripturally, we're called to fight for the next-gen. And next week, I'm gonna, that's what the sermon's all about. Fighting for the next generation. And can I tell you, it's, maybe you sit in here and you're like, uh-uh, I'm like way older. How am I going to fight for the next generation? You're going to hear. Because we all are part of rebuilding. Everyone got involved in Nehemiah to build the walls of Jerusalem. Were they all passionate about building and picking up bricks and that? I can tell you now they weren't. But they knew what God has spoken to them, and what the end result would be in the rebuilding. And so God laid that on our heart, saying, our spaces, how we create in areas, our discipleship, looking at it, saying, cool, so what does this mean for the discipleship of a, of a young little kid all the way up to a high schooler? How are we going to do this? And so it's all great to say that, but some of the things that we already started and as a church, I want us to be behind we're a family. We need to know these things. Beginning of this year in January, we started a next-gen core leadership team. Rosanna and myself lead this team, and Rosanna and myself are not way close to next-gen anymore in our age. <laughs> but our heart and what we believe God has called, and also saying that we believe so much in this, that we will lead this team. Because God has called us to do that. That's not like, oh, let's just worry about what's happening there. They're not here. We don't even see them. Have fun. Enjoy while you're around the building. Now God has called us to be a part of that. And so we looked at that. Amazing. Acknowledging what the teams are already doing. We've also appointed Justin Matthews, who was on stage, as an assistant pastor that focuses on teenagers and students' ministry. And we're excited that he's on this journey. And so him with the core leadership team of Elevate and of students, they're working together and saying, God, what are you doing? We're also looking at identifying new leaders and teams. You see, because in 2022, people have come back. It's beautiful. Of 100 kids that Elevate, we were struggling to sometimes get 14 online. 
We can celebrate, people. That's amazing what God's doing. We've seen the young kids out there. Their venues are full. We used to have a 10 to 24-month-olds pre-COVID, but then COVID came and the regulations, we weren't allowed to hold babies and all of that stuff. I can tell you now, moms with 10 to 24 months old miss us having that space. And so we're saying we need to do that, but can I tell you, we don't have the people yet. I'm not going to pretend like we've got everything. The people are here. The people of Jerusalem, that was their city, and they all got behind it. They didn't watch by and say, you're going to do it. You're going to do it. They all got behind to rebuild. Our Friday next gen that happens with the youngsters, we want to start that again. We believe in it, but we need the people still. Our reach, how we reach into the communities. We will have Holiday Club this year. Holiday Club 2022. We are excited that we're going to have it again. And can I tell you, we're going to have it in this building. I'm excited because it means that there's going to be changes that are going to happen here. And I believe God is doing something. And can I tell you, if, if we don't carry a holy discontent for the next gen, my prayer is that something would change. Because I can tell you, and there's stories that you're going to hear of others, but my own life is a testament because of the next gen within this church. It changed the trajectory of my life. Even after service, just greeted someone who used to lead and be a part of our H Kids program when I was a little kid. Still here, him and his wife, a life group leader still within this church. And I looked at him and I said, Uncle Davey, thank you for giving to the next generation. Because my life, where I could now share this, is because of a church who believed in the next generation. We can never lose that holy discontent where God's calling us in the next generation. The second thing that he said to us that we focused on is discipleship, meaning our journey with Christ, saying how do we create and what is our approach for transformative discipleship that will see people take their next step? What does that mean? About going deeper with God. It means our journey with Him. And so you'll start to see, we're starting to unpack that. We're going deeper in God, in, in the Word, and in literacy. Right now, media is a tool that we launch. It's about all these things that we, you can find, resources. Why do we believe it? It's not just that you have more noise and more things. It's about our discipleship journey. And we're looking and saying, so what does it mean to take next steps? And we're not focusing so much on the programmatic, and so that means actually we're reevaluating everything we're doing. The immediate, we started saying, well, welcome home dinner is a reflection of what we believe God spoke to us this year. And saying our culture, a welcome home dinner, and so we're re-looking really at what Growth Track looks. We're saying it can't just be like a cookie cutter manufacturer line, da-da-da, do one, two, three, and then da-da, you're a great Christian. It's more to that. What does it mean to explore your faith? What does it mean to go deeper in God's word? What does it mean to find freedom in spaces where you can journey and truly take the layers of, of your life and things that have happened to us? What do all of these things mean and the journey that we're going on? But also in groups, doing life together. We've had an influx of people in groups, and can I tell you, we need new life group leaders. We need people to go, I will be a leader. I will step up because there's an influx of people that we need to be able to get them into groups because they're saying, cool, Dan, you spoke about doing life together. I'm putting my hand up. We need people. And it encourages me. It doesn't scare me because I know the people are here. Discipleship. 
Next gen, discipleship. And the last one, culture. And also you might think, focus on culture? What do you mean? What is culture? Culture's who we are. It's, it's this is us kind of thing. You see, you can have the greatest strategies, you can have the greatest vision, you can have the best sayings and mission statements, and you can say all these things, but if your culture doesn't allow for that, it's just going to be great sayings that we're going to throw up and then forget about very quickly. You see, see, culture reflects who we are as a church, what we do, how we do things, how we operate, why we do certain things. It's the culture. I've been in, in a few houses and maybe a few of us have it and if it's your house, I'm not talking about you, I promise. <laughs> Another signs that we have up and say, in my family, and then it writes there, we're kind. In my family, we listen to each other and literally you're watching them shouting and screaming at each other and there's this little wooden board there that's talking about the family, what we do. And you reflect and you're like, well, the culture, yeah. You see, my... I don't want us to just put up sayings and, and say certain things, but actually the culture is not that. You see, culture, you can walk into a place and you can, no one has to even say something to you, but you can feel something. And I don't know if you've experienced that. You come in and speak about how we are family and you go, yeah, that's true. I can feel that. That's a culture. And God has been taking us on this journey and, and we've seen how God has taken us on this journey of, of culture, talking about this culture of love and, and we've seen how it's been demonstrated broadly across in many areas and there's been so much change that has already taken place. And I'm going to say it again, all across Edge Church when we look and we inspect the walls, there has been growth in every area of the church. The church is on a good projection. But our culture, God is saying, who are we? Because culture defines who you are. And so we said, well, what what will say that we've done successful in this? How do we evaluate next year this time and go, did we live out these three things? Culture, we would look at and say, well, all of us have fully embodied the culture of this church. But people are able to articulate and actually speak and demonstrate it, that our physical spaces show and reflect the very culture. And so we've been wrestling with saying, how do we define, like how do you put it into just a few words instead of having a long statement that we can't remember all the things, how do we just put it into a few words to actually define who we are? You see, because Nehemiah, can I tell you, when he was doing the wars and the rebuilding of the wars, the wars were symbolic of the identity of the people. You see, because when the wars were in ruin, it meant that the people were at risk. She was at, she was risk to the enemy, Jerusalem. And so now the identity is actually in the rebuilding of the walls. Because they were once known as this. And so there was significance when it came to, when Nehemiah came to rebuild the walls. It wasn't just a physical brick, 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 brick. It was the identity of the people that was being rebuilt. And so for 14 months, we've been reflecting, saying, God, what is the identity? What is the culture of our church? We, we know it. How do we articulate it? 
How do we have, you know, what I call an elevator speech? Be able to say our little thing in that short space. How do we be able to say to someone, hey, can I tell you about my church? Or what's your church like? Well, I can tell you. Because this is the culture of our house. And so after reflecting, after saying, God, what is it? And, and not rushing it. 14 months it took us to make one sentence. You've probably been thinking, oh, huh? how long did it take you to do that in 14 months? Because we really wrestled. It wasn't just a quick thing. We honestly were saying, is this us? Is this, this truly us? This maybe wants us, but it's not. Actually, that's inspirational. We do want to strive for that. This is what we're building towards. But this is what God's called us. He's called the other church down the road for that, and that's their purpose. He's called that church, and we are all part of the church, but he's called us as each church with a certain identity and a calling that we can say, yes, this is why I belong to this house. Because this is my culture. This is my tribe. This is my family that I belong to. And so the culture statement that you're going to see around the building and speaking more and more culture of Edge Church is that Edge Church, it's a place where you belong. We're God first, fun-filled family who loves well. And you know, when we got to this, it was like, Yes, we celebrated. And some of you might be like, huh? Is it all of that? We could articulate. That's the journey that God has had us on as a church. And this has been two years of from move to lockdown to this, to, to changing, to change of leadership, to a smaller staff team, to many things that God has taken us through. And seeing His faithfulness of saying, you know what? This is us. It's a place where you belong, meaning to His acceptance that we accept each other. All walks of life and journeys and what we, we've been through, we accept each other. There's no like, oh, I'm better than you. We speak real from this stage. We talk about our own life experiences, the things that have happened to us. I don't want fake people. We're God first. We pray first. We give first. It's God first. Meaning, that we are fully aligned to him first and what he seek first the kingdom of God above all else. And we are fun-filled family. You know what that says? We enjoy life. We enjoy food. We laugh. We engage. Originally I said to him, can't we have a food-filled family? <laughs> or can we have... <laughs> I was like, people think we're a restaurant or something like that. It sounds silly, but it's not. It's our culture. I want people to walk in and go, yo, these people love to connect and it's relationship. It's high touch. It's connection. It's genuinely, there's love for each other. A fun-filled family who loves well. Meaning, are we living out that very mission statement? Love God and love people. Loving well means, are we loving God first and foremost? And are we loving others? You see, that was the burden that was sent from heaven directly from our Savior to us and said, this is the mission that I've asked you to do. There's no plan B. There's no backup. We are it. The church. And you'll notice, you go through Nehemiah, and there's more things that we're going to share and more things that God is doing. And next week, I'm going to unpack it more. But our culture has to reflect it even in our spaces. And so 
in our spaces, there are going to be changes happening. I spoke about how we're going to have to change things to get ready for holiday club in here. Like we can't have fixed chairs to have a whole bunch of kids seated here. We need to change things. Our front foyers, where we do kids check-in, we're going to be changing it. Why? Because we want, that's already nice. There's nothing wrong with that. But we want to demonstrate the culture of this house and what that means. That where his acceptance, his belonging, his fun for this family, what are all these things? And so we're going to be, we're in consult with a design team, architects, looking at, we're going to, in due course, we will show you the things and, and talk about what we're going to do to be changing. And for me, when I think about that, there's going to be even some rebuilding physically taking place. I'm like, that's only God that could have got us to this place. In light of everything that has happened and he's brought us through, it is a thousand hallelujahs of what he's done for us as a people, his faithfulness. And so we're going to be looking at that and you've already seen by our kids venue, we've already put sails up to cover there that that there's better shaded cloth and there's more things that we're going to be doing to demonstrate that actually this is what we believe God has called us to do and to focus on. But as I close, I want you to, to know this. Nehemiah starts in chapter 1, ends in chapter 13. It's 13 chapters and I encourage you, go read it. Even if you go on to write down media or version, there's, there's plans that helps you go through it. But from chapter 1 to chapter 13, the book ends that keep that book of Nehemiah together that holds it in place. You know what the book ends that hold it all together? is prayer. From chapter 1, he has that moment where he hears God and he prays. And then he prays throughout when he has opposition and things don't go according to plan. He just keeps praying all the way to chapter 13. It's prayer when he says, God, remember. Remember what has happened. I'm calling us. We're going to follow that example of we're going to pray. And so how do we live out this culture? How do we live out what God is calling us to do? Number one, prayer and fast. I'm calling us. You've heard, I'm sharing and I'm sharing next week and I'll continue. Pray and fast for us as a church. This is your home. We notice with the people of, of Jerusalem, when they had to rebuild, they all did it because it was their city that they got involved in. This is not just me and a few leaders. This is all of us. Personify the culture, meaning live the very culture out of each church as a place where you belong. God first, fun-filled family that loves well. Can we, can we say that that's us? And then I'm calling us to prioritize the next generation. You see, because so much depends on the next gen. The famous saying, we are just one generation away from closing the doors of the church. If we miss telling them, we're just one generation away, but none of this will be here anymore. So I'm calling us to, to prioritize that and then to pray. And it's all of us. And do you know how you can see in Scripture how it was all of them that got involved in the building? You see, when Nehemiah called the people and says, this is what we're going to do, I've inspected and we're going to rebuild in, in Nehemiah 2 verse 17, he says this to them, and this is how they responded. And they replied, meaning the people, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. It doesn't say 
Nehemiah, good luck, brother. Enjoy your building. Thank you for the wonderful speech that you did for us, but enjoy it. Let us start rebuilding because it was their city. It was the holy city of God. They all carried it. And so the question I want to ask you to reflect on is this question saying, what brick is in your hand? And how are you going to build into this wall? It's like I said, it was everyone. It wasn't just the few. It was everyone that made it possible. What brick is in your hand that you can say, I can rebuild? And you know that brick symbolizes the gifting that God's given you. Maybe it's time. Maybe you're like, actually, I, I don't want to go near to next gen or to do that because I, I'm past that. But it's given you time. There's things that can happen in the week. There's other areas. Maybe it's talent. And you're saying you're, God's given you a talent to, to even operate in, in this area, to operate on production or to help there. And maybe it's, it's even treasure saying, you know what? That's and this and that. I, I'm building here. But I actually, God's given me financially. I can, can build the kingdom of God by even giving over and above generously. What is he placed in your hand? Because can I tell you, he's placed a gift and talent in every single one of our hands. It's what do we do with the brick that he's placed in our hand? And so I want to give you something, and it looks like this. So in the middle of those that are seated in the middle aisle, right there, you'll see that there's a tray. I encourage you just to pick it up. It's under your chair. And to pass it down and to take a pen. And to take one of these forms, and then don't do anything with it yet. Just take the pen, take the card, and just hold it for a moment. I know it's hard. Many of us want to read through the whole thing and then start writing and look at the cool little Lego block. And I know, I know, I'm like that as well. That's why I can identify with you. I encourage you just, just to hold it. Keep it in your hand. And the hand it out. And if you haven't got one, I, a pen, because I'm going to ask you to write something down in service. Please just pop your hand up. You'll see our host teams, they're walking around. Fantastic. And once you've got it, I want you to look at me. That question of what brick is in your hand. You know what's interesting when you read in Nehemiah? Nehemiah actually references Moses. I thought to myself, that was very interesting that he references Moses. And then I was reminded about the story of Moses. In Exodus 3. When Moses has the burning bush moment and, and even in like primary school, you, know, you always know about that story, the burning bush. And in Exodus chapter 3 verse 4, we see, it says, When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look at the burning bush, he said, Moses, Moses. And then the very next line, here I am, replied Moses. There was a moment where God spoke. Moses looked. God called out. But then there was a response and action part of Moses. He said, here I am, Lord. 
And then God begins to speak to him and says, this and this and this has happened. And I've seen the oppression of the people. I've seen what you guys have been through. I've seen what Pharaoh has done to you. And it was like God saying, I've seen the, the holy discontent that you feel regarding the next gen and what we're calling as a church. I've seen what you've gone through. I've seen. Will you respond? Like Moses did, here I am. Nehemiah has the same. Prays and fast, says, here I am, Lord. And then he gets sent. And then in verse 10 of Exodus 3, says, then the Lord said, I will send you. I believe this is the moment that God is saying, who's he going to send? There is the burning bush. Can I tell you right now, God has spoken. And as we look, what is our response going to be? And so in this space, with that piece of your pen, I want you to write, what do you believe God has spoken to you today? What do you believe you have? You've heard the vision. You've heard what, where God is leading us as a church. This is our house. What do you believe God is asking of you to put into this wall of this church? And so in this moment, I encourage you right now, write it down. Don't leave this place. Write it down. Ask God, Holy Spirit, what is it that you're speaking to me about? Maybe it's time. Maybe it's saying, God, I, I, I don't know what it is, but I'll put my hand up. I'll be available. The most beautiful thing is that the way God works is sometimes we're not 100% sure what or how but His Holy Spirit always guides and leads if we're open to Him like Moses respond here I am <laughs> you don't need to know all the steps afterwards you just need to say I stand here with arms open wide surrendered to you your will and He promises to be with you in what's next and for us as a church, you call this your home? He's saying, I will guide you. I've guided you this long. I will continue to guide you. And so now in this space as we end our service, allow the Holy Spirit to, to speak, to worship. And in this space, our team's going to sing a song over us, but I encourage you, worship God. Begin to speak to the Holy Spirit what it is. Respond to him in worship as his line said here I am arms open wide take my life I lay it down allow God to do the business in your life
Father, that prayer that you would have your way. And so a way of, we can plan things, man's can have his way, but it's you that directs and builds. It's you who builds the church, your church. And so as your people, as such a tangible sense of your presence here, that I pray, my prayer for us, my prayer for myself as I stand here, that I'll be surrendered to what you are asking. Not man, but to what you have called. The very things that you have placed in our hands, the very things that you have given and gifted to God, I pray it will be used to build your kingdom. Because of what you have done in our lives, it's, it's our way of going, thank you, Jesus. And so for each one of us, I believe that your spirit is doing a work. But as this week goes, as we reflect on what you're calling us to rebuild, God, I pray that you would deepen in us this very call of, Lord, here I am. Use me. Here I am, God. I surrender to you. So thank you, Holy Spirit, for your faithfulness. Thank you for what you have done the past two years reflecting your goodness, your goodness to us. And so I thank you for that. And I give you all the praise, God, because you are a worthy God. And it is a thousand hallelujahs that we're declaring your goodness. And God's people say together, amen.